welcome to an all-new episode of Wonderfilled Week. I am your host, Caitlin Corey. Today, I am honored to release part one of a two-part mini-series focusing on nonprofit organizations. I call this collection the Leave Your Mark series. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Nick DeBreezy, who is certainly leaving his mark on the world. Nick is an actor, a philanthropist, and a cystic fibrosis warrior. Nick is a double lung transplant survivor and documented his experience in an award-winning documentary, Fight Like a Boss. Nick is the founder of the 501c3 nonprofit organization, the Breathe Like a Boss Foundation, whose mission is to help people with respiratory ailments such as cystic fibrosis, as well as post-transplant patients by financially assisting them with their choice of fitness-related programs or assisting the approved applicant with the purchase of exercise equipment for their place of residence to help maintain their health. You can follow Nick on Instagram at Nick DeBreezy Jr., his foundation page at the Breathe Like a Boss Foundation, and if you wish to make a donation, you can do so on his website, www.breathelikeaboss.com, or directly on PayPal at the Breathe Like a Boss Foundation. Without further ado, please welcome the boss himself, Nick DeBreezy, to the program. Welcome to Wonderfilled Week. Hello, Caitlin. How are you? I'm doing well. I want to thank you for making time to speak with me today. You are someone who I consider extremely determined, driven, resilient, and inspiring. Your story amazes me not only for all you've overcome and accomplished, but also because of the positive attitude and zest for life that you possess while doing it. Thank you. For those who've been listening to the podcast for a while, they know my husband Ryan has cystic fibrosis and he's spoken on his experience on this platform, but like a fingerprint, everyone's experience will be unique. So today we want to hear about your unique experience. So can you begin, Nick, by telling us a little bit about what life with CF was like growing up and how did it affect your childhood? Sure. Yes. So um, I grew up in a uh, big Italian family with two older brothers. I'm just the youngest, obviously. Um, my parents, you know, they didn't know anything about CF. My whole family was completely new to them. Uh, I was obviously a very unhealthy, you know, baby. And I had a lot of issues, with digestive issues. Because as you know, uh, or as, as maybe your audience knows, CF not only affects the lungs, but also affects the digestive system and pretty much all of the organs. And so um, they slowly but surely started realizing something's not right. And when um, I got to about a little bit over a year from what I understand is when I got diagnosed with CF uh, through a sweat test, which they did. They used to do the sweat test to diagnose uh, cystic fibrosis. So at that point, we're talking 1980, 81, 82. uh, My parents were told that I wasn't going to live past my, you know, into my teens if, if I was lucky. So my, um, my father's uh, kind of an old school guy and very much um, no victim mentality type of person. You know, he kind of ran the household like a, 
you know, like the military. So we, he's like, you know what, no matter what, we're going to raise him like we raise my other uh, sons. And that's what he did. You know, he, he didn't do anything much more differently other than obviously I had to do nebulizer treatments and, and the manual labor of BD treatments that my mom and grandma used to have to beat on my back to make me spit mucus. So we didn't have the vest therapy back then, which for the audience that doesn't know, the vest is like this machine that hooks up to you and it shakes every morning you put it on and it shakes your whole body to make you spit out mucus. And because your body's constantly creating mucus throughout its lungs, you know? So the key is getting that mucus out before it causes infections in the lungs. So I had to deal with a lot of these kind of infections growing up, you know, but nonetheless, my, my parents put us all in the sports, kept us very active and that's why I was, you know, sports to me is such a huge element and, and exercise of, of staying, you know, fit and, and also healthy and positive mentally and physically as well. Uh, and especially with CF, you know, and any, any kind of ailment really, but with CF particularly so that your lungs can stay strong and you're breathing better and you, you, you can kind of maintain a certain endurance. And um, obviously you're not going to have the same endurance as someone that doesn't have cystic fibrosis, but you know, my, my father did not change anything for me, you know, and, and that was very helpful. I think that's what gave me a very much a competitive spirit and you need that competitive spirit to battle something like cystic fibrosis. And as the years progressed, I got diabetes and other issues that came about. Yeah. I mean, I did say that it's a unique fingerprint, but I'm hearing a lot of similarities about Ryan's parents were the similar, and he said that in his experience that they just treated him the same as their other children, and he really actually really appreciated that yeah. because he didn't feel different. And you can, there's probably a tendency to feel different because you have to do nebulizer treatments and different things. So anywhere where you can feel quote unquote typical or like just like everyone else probably felt really good. So I'm I'm sure your your dad's instincts were spot on with that, and yeah. and really molded you into who you are now because you still have that competitive edge and definitely. you take that in all facets of life and you never have that really victim mentality yeah definitely yeah no i mean i, th I consider my father my hero he saved my life by doing that in my opinion i i really think i i survived the the hardest most difficult battles because of my childhood and how i grew up you know and um and it was helpful and it's helpful now in dealing with what i'm dealing with now you know Right. And I'm sure we'll discuss that later too. But, um, and you know, so I got I, most of my childhood though. I did, I did get hospitalized a lot, probably like uh, every year I would go in, if not because I had to for tune-ups, what they call tune-ups, you know, 14 day IV antibiotic treatments that will basically keep you healthy enough for the year through school. And, and every summer me and my brothers would go to Italy. So I spent my summers in Italy. So you know, on, basically on a farm. My family lives on a farm in, in Italy. And that was kind of cool to go from, because I am from, I was born and raised in Chicago, to go from like city of Chicago to a total mm -hmm. farm life. It was yeah. really cool. We would spend two to three months, you know, in the summer in Italy sometimes. And that was really great. I loved it, you know. And I think that was helpful for my, uh, for my mind and, and for my body as well, you know. Yeah. And I'm sure it means a lot to your dad and your parents to hear you say these things like he's your hero and that they made the right decisions because as a parent, I'm sure you don't know what to do. I'm sure that were they familiar with CF before you or? Not at all. No, they had no idea what it was. Completely new to them. You know, my father worked, they were in the restaurant business. So 
they worked so much. My grandparents really wa- also watched us a lot, you know, and, um, you know, it was like a team effort kind of, but it, it was hard, you know, for my mom. I mean, my mom at that time barely spoke English, you know, and it, it was very difficult for them to, to keep up with me, you know what I mean? And everything. And, and the insurance situation was, was different. They were paying a lot of money for my insurance and, yeah, it was not easy for them at all. You know? Well, I'm sure it meant a lot, that full circle moment of you being an adult and, and being through everything that you've been through and saying thank you to them. I'm sure that really validated all their choices and maybe any doubts they had. And they probably felt a lot of relief in knowing that they made the right decisions. Yeah, I think so. You talk about a team effort and family seems to be a strong theme for you. And your family unit seems, from what you're describing, tight knit and truly there for you. Do you think a strong support system is required, basically, for a person with CF? I mean, so I mentor a lot of CFers that are about to get into the, go into the transplant process. And the thing that I see, them, to me, it seems to me like the ones that have that support group do the best after transplant. And unfortunately, not everyone has it. You know, I'm, I know that I'm lucky. I know that I'm, I was blessed with that. that. That was the one advantage that I have, you know, but... Some people don't have that. And that's why I think it's important to have these kind of mentor groups or situations or, you know, I try to tell social workers to recommend me to people that are, that are going to transplant that maybe don't have those siblings or the family structure that I had, or even just the friends. Some people are very much alone in this and that's sad, you know? So I, I've talked to many people that are like that, that they just, maybe it's just them and if they're one parent or, you know, and it's hard for them to, cause they, you have a certain relationship with your parent, but if you have someone that has gone through it, you know, I think everyone needs that. And I had that even when I went through my transplant experience, because I had a double lung transplant, as you know, you know, now it's going on almost six years, five and a half years. So, and I, and I had that with my buddy, Dominic, you know, and he, I, I think you know him and he, he had the transplant before me. So I kind of got to see him go through the, the whole process. He, he did it at Stanford. That's where I had my transplant. And so I saw the whole process with him first and I was able to talk to him about, you know, all the steps that he went through. And that was so helpful for me, you know I mean? Cause I kind of knew what to expect. I knew what kind of pain I was going to deal with. I knew what I needed to do at what time I needed to do it, you know? And that was huge for me, you know, and even just a friend to talk to that understands what you're going through on our level, you know? Right. It makes a big difference. Oh, big time. Ryan talked about on his experience, you know, his two cousins have CF. Yeah. And so he had that built-in support system and sort of that same thing you're discussing, someone else who knows what you're going through. Because as much as I love Ryan and his family, if you don't have CF, there's a different layer to it you know like you don't exactly know what the person's going through but what's beautiful to me is that you're part of a community and and we all are in the cf world that there are people to reach out to and there are mentors and and you're not alone and even if you are really alone in this you people can reach out right and 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 find that support it is there if you look for it yeah i'm i'm always willing to, to to talk to anyone or or befriend people that or just, you know, have a conversation with someone that needs to know anything about that experience. Because I, I feel like I'm now a professional at being a trans, post transplant patient. So, like, I mean, Absolutely. I, it's helpful. Yeah. It is helpful. Well, you gave us insight into your childhood and how CF affected you then. But let's move forward, since we're talking about the transplant, into your adulthood, where you have, in fact, had a double lung transplant. What was the transplant process like for you, not only physically, but also mentally and emotionally? Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was uh, 
a very di most difficult time in my life was, you know, the, the six months prior to that, you know, leading up to that. Obviously, I was at that point, I was on, uh, you know, oxygen 24-7 and um, I was on like six to eight liters constantly of oxygen, as high as it can go, basically. Um, you know, when I was, well, I moved to L.A. when I was 20 years old and I got pretty sick for like the first year. I think I had like a pneumonia. I ended up in the hospital. My lung function dropped from like 40% to like below 25% at that time. We're talking now 18, 19 years ago. And that was the first time transplant was brought to my attention when it first dropped. So I started doing the process of getting evaluated then. I'm talking when I was 20 years old. I was told I wasn't going to live for another couple of years at that lung function. Uh, but I still exercise. Like I said, I, I, I kept exercising. And I decided to just, you know, get back in the boxing ring and, and you know, do some more boxing and, and like, uh, martial arts and training. And, and that helped me a lot. Even though my lung function never got back above 25% for the next 14 years, I, I, I didn't have, didn't, I didn't need the oxygen. And I think that that was because of the fact that I exercised so much that maybe my body was able to, to do more with such little, you know, um, lung function. And, but then it got to a point that CF is a beast. Cystic fibrosis is very difficult. And, and at one point or another, it's going to catch up to you. And no matter what you do, you know, and I fought as hard as I could for as long as I could to, to make that transplant like later on in life and push it and push it forward. And they kept asking me, are you sure you want to talk about transplant? I'm not there yet. When I get on oxygen, when I get on oxygen, before you knew it, 14 years later, I'm on oxygen 24 seven. So then I knew when my lung function dropped to like 16, 15%, I needed to get on the list. So I, I'm, I'm living in LA and I got on the list at Stanford, you know, because I heard that that was the best place to get transplanted. And I knew other people that had gotten the transplant there. So I did the evaluation process and, and, I, and this whole time was very difficult. You know, I was married at the time and that was a great for me because it was very helpful to have that support there, you know, and, you know, I decided to, actually start filming a documentary about my transplant experience. And the documentary was called Fight Like a Boss. And I wanted to, I mean, I'm, I'm a creative guy, I'm an actor. So I, I wanted to do something creative. And, and I didn't know if I was gonna make it because I was pretty sick. And you know, I had, a, besides my lung function being so low, I was spitting blood like on a weekly basis. I had a, a hemoptysis really bad, you know? So I, honestly, I, I wasn't sure if I was gonna make it or what was gonna happen. So I wanted to, you know, like, like we were speaking about earlier, we all want to leave, I mean, at least I want to leave something important to this world. You know, I felt like uh, even if you can make a little difference, that's always a good thing, you know? And, and I'm, my mom raised me to be a good Catholic boy. <laughs> so I feel like I have morals and, and I'm a man of faith. And if I can give back to the world in any way, it's what I want to do. And I felt like this documentary would do that in, in, in terms of it would raise awareness for being an organ donor. And if I didn't make it, they would, the audience would see that. They would say, oh, my God, we need more organ donors. Look at this guy fighting to just stay on the list, to stay alive while he's waiting for an organ. And if I did make it, it would be a beautiful story to share, inspiring. And I knew how I am. I knew I was going to fight through that. And it would be my own Rocky Balboa story, which yeah. is something I was a fan of, you know. So, um, and it kind of turned into the Rocky Balboa story because I did make it and, and it went, it was very difficult. You know, the first, after my transplant, the first seven days was a period of basically hallucination for me. And I don't remember anything. 
Yeah, I don't remember anything in the first seven days aside from what I saw in the footage in the documentary. So, yeah, and I did some pretty crazy things, that I was told. And, um, you know, I mean, like, I guess I attacked a male nurse and I was like, yeah, I was kind of like saying things that I didn't even know what I was just, I remember my hallucinations very well. But other than that, I don't remember much of the first seven days. And then after they took me off some of those pain medications and, and the lower the prednisone is when I started coming more to being myself. And, and then I could finally start walking and realize, I was realizing, and it was caught in the documentary, you see some of that, that I'm, oh my God, I'm actually improving. My oxygen's 100%. I haven't been 100% since I was like 18, 19. And, and when I was seeing these improvements, I'm like, holy crap, this is working. And it was, mo it was inspiring me to do more, you know, like, oh my God, now I want to walk. Now I want to, I don't want to do just do five laps. I want to do 10 laps around the hospital. I want to, you know, I just kept pushing myself and every day was a little bit more, you know, and, um, and I think that, that, that went on until a year after my transplant. It was just always a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And I feel like a, a full recovery of a double lung transplant because they saw your sternum, you know, they basically break, break your ribs apart, you know, and it's not easy. It was painful. I don't like using pain pills. So as soon as I got out of hospital, I never took a pain pill, not even one. <clears throat> and so I, I, you know, I grew up in um, kind of doing Taekwondo and, and boxing, but in Taekwondo, we, we learned a lot about meditation and I used my meditation to, for me, for, for, for my pain and whatnot. And I think that helped me, you know, in breathing exercises was what I focused on, you know, when I was in a lot of pain and I was in a good amount of pain, but as the time went by, things got better. And at a year I started training in Muay Thai and with my friend Danny. And that's kind of what brought me to wanting to start my nonprofit. Um, when I started training in Muay Thai and seeing in that one, I trained for one year, my friend Dan, Mayed, uh, who's like a brother to me, he trained me for a year for free at his Muay Thai uh, USA school. And I improved so much in that year with my lung function and my strength that I'm like, everybody needs this opportunity. Everybody with CF, you know, everyone that's post-transplant should have an opportunity like this. And not everyone can afford or have friends that will do them this kind of favor. So I felt, and I felt like there was a void there, especially in like Southern California. I don't know any nonprofit that pays for gym memberships or fitness programs or exercise equipment, you know, for patients. So I felt like that's something that needed to happen, you know, and, and I, and I looked into that and started this nonprofit then. Wow. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack there because we have the transplant, yeah. we have the documentary and we have the nonprofit. And so these are the three things I really want to focus on because yeah. you just don't stop. Like anyone else could have been like, I had my double lung transplant and I just relaxed a little bit, but that's yeah. not really you. <laughs> but no. well, I first want to thank you for sharing your experience because I imagine, and I don't know, you can tell me, it's probably not easy to relive some of the darker days that you've endured. But I, we, you and I both agree on the philosophy of raising awareness about CF and spreading the word and how it affects those living with it. And you really do walk the walk when it comes to that. You know, you're not just silently going through your struggles and, and overcoming your obstacles, but you're spreading the word. And thinking about in terms of the documentary, I imagine that was one of the darker times in your life. Do you, do you, have you watched it since then? And how do you feel watching it? Is it hard to watch? What, what emotions do you go through? It's different when I first watched it than when I watch it now. 
unfortunately, I'm no longer, I am divorced. So it's a different experience because there was a love story involved, you know, obviously. Um, it's harder to watch now, I feel, because of, it reminds me of the things that happened, you know. Um, I'm, I'm happy that all of it happened because, in my opinion, everything happens for a reason. And one door closes, another one opens. And, um, and we're, you know, my, my ex-wife and I are still friends, and I'm very grateful for her because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. So I can never forget that, you know, so that doesn't, no matter what happens, that nothing replaces that. Um, and my watching it now is, was, like I said, it's a little more difficult, but it's also, it's also satisfying to know I went through all that and to know that right now I have to go through another battle with my, I'm having issues with my kidney. I'm in kidney failure and I have to get a kidney transplant. So I know that I can, like when I see that documentary, I can, I'm like, okay, if I dealt with that, I can deal with anything. You know, it's just a reminder of that, the hardest thing in life I've been able to beat. So no matter what, I'm not afraid, you know? And if you, it just, it's just a reminder of everything I went through and, and I know that I can battle, you know, cause I've done it before, but it's, it was also entertaining. You know, I feel like it was well done. I'm very proud of my director and producer. We, we didn't get any distribution for it, but we did win two film festivals for best documentary and one of them for best film of the year there. And uh, it was pretty cool. And watching it, at a theater with amongst friends and family. And the thing that I'll never forget was um, the first time we got into film festival was called first glance film festival. It was in, in uh, LA here and they had a red carpet type of thing. And I brought my grandma with me Aww. and that was, to me was like the most proud moment, you know, to mm -hmm. have my grandma with me at this red carpet event, you know, yeah. and her watching it with me was a very beautiful moment. Absolutely. The, the entire thing sounds like just a totally full circle moment, just going through it. I mean, you're the star of this movie, this documentary, and it is a, an award winning documentary. Like you said, it's very well done. And then to be there, you survived it. It was your Rocky story. You survived it. You're at the red carpet. You're with your support system who's been there for you in all of your darker days. And I imagine that just felt like you said, one of your more proud moments of your life. Yeah, it was great. It was uh, it was fun. And it was uh, it was nice to have that support people that were there for me and it was pretty cool the, the whole experience was was kind of surreal you know yeah, and, and it, had, it left a great message you know we we talk about being an organ donor and we give a lot of good statistics we have interviews with dr rao from my doctor that is at usc and he does a great job in it uh, it's a very, i think it's a very well done by daniel pineros is our director and jenny marrero is our producer and I think they did a great job in it, you know. We need to get it streaming. Where can we watch it? We've got to get this on one of these platforms. You know, one thing I do do, um, because we didn't distribute it, we really can't share it. Yeah. I share it amongst the people I mentor, though. Okay. And, yeah, and I let them watch it, you know. And I'm sure that's really comforting to them to be able to seize the experience. It, it is, yeah. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I've gotten great feedback uh, from it, and they've seen, they saw the struggle, because it, it, we didn't hide anything. It was real. It yeah. was like, you see the struggle. You see me talking to myself, hallucinating wow. in some of that footage. But then you see at the end, like, where I end up. And, and so everyone, it kind of is like, truly shows that there's a, a, a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. You know, and, and it's a great example of what, um, what battling is and, and, like, really not giving up and, and, and fighting for what you want in life, you know. 
Now you're an actor, so you're used to being uh, in front of the camera and you're used to being vulnerable, but as a character. So did you have any reservations about doing the documentary because it was actually you, your real story, your real struggles and real raw footage? Did you have any reservations or did you, your uh, desire to spread awareness, did that just outweigh it? Yeah, I, I, like I said, I didn't know if I was gonna survive it. So I'm like, eh, why, why not, you know? It's, <laughs> it's, who cares, at least I, at least, if two or three people become an organ donor because they saw this film, it was worth it for me, you know, because one organ donor can save eight lives. I mean, like that to me, it's all that mattered really at that point. Wow. Uh, being an actor had nothing to do with it at, the, at that point. That was the whole point was to raise awareness, to do something good, to leave a story, to leave an important message behind, you know, of, of we need more organ donors, period. Yeah. Well, you certainly did that. You certainly did that. And CF is not just something you live with, but it's a cause that is near and dear to your heart. And that is evidenced by you launching your nonprofit organization that aids others with CF. So tell us a little bit about your nonprofit, Breathe Like a Boss, the mission, the goal, where can we donate, most importantly? Yes. So the Breathe Like a Boss Foundation is a nonprofit I started about three years ago now. Uh, basically, we, we do exercise grants for patients or people with uh, cystic fibrosis or post-transplant. Uh, patients and, um, and exercise equipment, gym memberships, fitness programs, yoga, uh, Muay Thai, martial arts, any kind of fitness program, gym membership or exercise equipment for your home. We try to uh, take care of that basically financially. And, um, you know, um, we've got given, I think about 24 grants now in the last three years. Yeah, it was it's been, it was rocky in the beginning, but as we started picking it up and people more people started knowing about it, social workers are recommending and referring patients. Then we were like, holy crap, this is working! You know, we're actually getting people. We're making a difference here, and and you you hear the stories and and uh, I don't I, I don't like to to brag about things like this. I just like to do them, mm -hmm. you know. And and so I have to learn to to put more more of these positive stories out there. And I feel like I'm not good enough at it. So I feel like I'm, you know, I, I was taught like you give just to give, you know what I mean? Right. Not for attention or anything, mm -hmm. but I know that it helps raise money. Yeah. So that's the thing, you know, so I do got to share more of those success stories, but we do have quite a bit of them and, and it's, it is moving to me. It inspires me to do more when I, when I get these, hear about these success stories and whatnot. And we raise um, funds through fundraisers that we have and, We've done, uh, um, I try to do kind of like fitness related fundraisers, like uh, foot golf events or uh, uh, stuff of that nature, dinner, dinner galas as well. And, yeah. uh, unfortunately, this year we haven't been able, we had to cancel three of our fundraisers. So we've only been raising money through social media and whatnot. Um, we, our website is www.breathelikeaboss.com. And there you could also donate or apply for a grant and that's breathe like a boss.com. Uh, our Facebook is at the breathe like a boss foundation. And that's also our Instagram. Perfect. And Ryan has directly benefited from your nonprofit and he was doing yes. and it. It came at a time and I always feel a lot of things are connected and they come right at the time you need them. And for mm -hmm. Ryan, it came just sort of out of the blue because we're connected through, you know, USC. 
and we were able to meet you, which has been like such a privilege for us. And, and Ryan's been able to directly be, like benefit from your nonprofit. So I have to say thank you. So Ryan is one of the success stories you're talking about. And I know yeah, it's you. not in your comfort zone to talk about it or say it, but I'm going to say it on your behalf. It is an amazing organization. Everyone should consider donating because it does make a difference to those living with CF. And and it might, it is the physical side of it. It's the fitness side of it. It's staying healthy in the lung function, but it's the mental health. It's the support yep. system. It adds so many beautiful things to the lives of those living with CF. So you're doing amazing, amazing work. So I'm going to say it on your behalf. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm so proud of Ryan. I, I went, I went to see Ryan. Ryan did a Muay Thai yeah. um, and I was so proud of him. He was, he was great. And I'm glad that he enjoyed it. And uh, Danny also trained him who trained me and, and uh, Danny is actually, he's also one of my board members of my nonprofit. And so, you know, I was just, I was proud to see that and, and see Ryan do well. And also Ryan is also in a fantasy football league with me. Yes. So yeah, <laughs> I love Ryan. He's a great guy. The CF community is tight. Yeah, we are and that's tight. one thing that I really love about it. You know, it's, it's, it's sad, right? Because we can't always be so close together because, you know, the role with CF. I know. But it is that support system. And thank God for technology and different things we can be connected through. And, and it makes a big difference, that support system. So Without a doubt. Okay, Nick, you are truly a fighter, a survivor, and a boss, just like bosses in all of your logos. And I love that because that is what you are. <laughs> how has life been post-transplant and how is your health now? Uh, yeah, I mean, life, life has been a dream. I mean, really. Um, I mean, I've gone through my ups and downs and I've went through a lot of hard times. But, you know, I'm kind of a guy that is very positive. You know, when I think about things, I'm just, I, uh, I, I, I I don't even really think about bad things I've gone through. I, I'm actually grateful for them, you know, so um, I just kind of, the things that stick to mind the most are the achievements I've done and, and the things that I've, the dreams that I've achieved since I've been able to go to Italy. That was the biggest thing for me. Uh, when I went through my transplant experience, I got a lot of help from so many people in terms of fundraising and because I had to relocate to Stanford area, uh, Northern California. And that's the most expensive area of the country, Silicon Valley. Um, my rent was like 3500 a month. You know, and we, were at, we had to stay there for nine months. I also had payments in my house in L.A. at the same time. I mean, we had to come up with, you know, like six to seven grand a month just to cover our payments. And it was not easy. But we were able to do that because of all the fundraisers that friends and family did for us. One of those fundraisers was my family in Italy did a soccer tournament for me. So I come from a small town called Sassano. It's, a, it's very much like a farm town still, you know? And uh, nothing's much, not much has changed in the last 30, 40 years. Uh, one thing that's common is that community, you know? And um, they truly showed that. And I had, I showed a lot of this in my documentary. I think that was a very important thing to show the community come together and it, with one goal and they achieved this goal of raising money for me. They raised, they did a soccer tournament with firemen, police had their own tournament, the town politicians, my cousins, the bankers. I mean, it was, a, it was like a whole community came together and had this huge soccer tournament where like the, a lot of these major politicians were involved in everything. And it was like all over the news in Southern Italy. It was like a big deal, you know? And so I hadn't gone to Italy in 19 years because of my health. I wasn't able to travel back there once I moved to L.A. And the one thing I want to do is go back and just thank everyone in person. So 19 years later, after my transplant, I was able to go in 2017 in the summer, two years after my transplant, 
I went back to Italy with my mom, which was awesome, and um, saw my uncle, my aunt again. When I said goodbye to everyone there in 1999, I didn't think I was ever going to see them again. And I kind of said goodbye for life, you know. And to go back to see my little cousins who were like 10 years old, you know, when I left, who are now in their 20s and 30s, and also the ones that are involved in raising all this money and fundraising, to see them as adults, I was so proud of them, you know, to, to visit the, the church that I used to go there and see the priests that got involved in my fundraising. And, you know, it was like incredible. And they had done another story about me on the news, about my, like me coming back and after so many years. And it was just really incredible memory for me, you know. And that was, to me, was the most important thing, to be able to go back to Italy. And I'm very proud of my town there and my family's hometown. And then, you know, seeing my grandfather the one time before he passed away, he was able to see me healthy. And I, I went to Chicago to see him. And, you know, it was a, I think it was a really nice thing to, for him to see me actually with my new lungs before he passed. And, um, you know, I did a documentary. I've done a bunch of acting jobs now. I was recently mm -hmm. in Fargo, season four. I was in six episodes of season four Fargo. Wow. And that was huge. You know, I, I was able to film in Chicago for a year and where I actually met the, my girlfriend who I'm with now who's beautiful and incredible and I'm very lucky. Oh, it's another love story. I'm very blessed to, to have her. her name is Mary and everything happens for a reason. You know, I mean, all these things that happened in my life and brought me to a better place. And, uh, um, and meanwhile, I'm also doing the nonprofit. And we're helping a lot of people still. And that's one of my major focuses on life. Yeah. Well, you have such a beautiful spirit, Nick. You just, you find a way to just make it all just picture perfect. And I love it. And I know that it's, it's not. And some days yes. are so hard and you've had to draw strength, I'm sure from your family, your friends, that community that you mm -hmm. spoke so highly of that you just adore and are so grateful yeah. to. And, uh, but it's just really a beautiful gift that you have to take everything that you've been through in life. And some of these things, I mean, you're describing having your sternum cut open ribs and I mean, this is some gruesome, hard stuff. Yeah. But you find a way to to not only endure it, but you have a beautiful attitude and you're paying it forward. And, you know, I think that there's something to be said for that. That is really admirable. Thank you. Absolutely. I think, you know, I think the positive attitude is very important when you're doing, going through this, you know. Happiness of your life kind of depends on your attitude and your, your optimism in life, you know. If you have a purpose, Finding a purpose also is very important. If you have a good purpose, I, I mean, so many people I have that are, that are fighting with me. I'm not alone in this. And so it, it makes a difference when you have those people around you. Well, you're fighting like a boss and you're not fighting alone. And I think that is what's key. So going back to the theme of a strong family unit and support system, I just want to remind my listeners, be there for your people. Check in, connect with your people. Some seasons of life, as we all experienced in 2020, some seasons of life can be so hard and a little bit of kindness can go a long way. So if I can leave my listeners with anything today, it's to have that positive attitude, to check on your support system and to be there and to accept the help. Did you ever find it was hard to accept the help from others or were you open to it? Oh my God. So the most difficult thing for me was to actually like ask for help. I can't, I do not like doing that. It's very difficult for me. You know, like when it came to fundraising and stuff, I just, it's not, it's not my style. You know, I had to humble myself. This whole experience was very humbling. I mean, that's one word that always comes to mind. You know, I'd really got humbled big time through this experience. It changed me. It opened my eyes to a lot of new things. 
a new life. You know, like just I wake up every day. I'm just so grateful. You know, and I'm and and it's not easy. I mean, like I said, going through some issues now with my kidneys, and but again, I'm hopeful because the support I have, I've had quite a few people that have offered to give me their kidney. I mean, they get nothing out of this. They've offered to give me their kidney. <laughs> Think about that. It's insane. You know, my brothers. I have two older brothers who, the first were them to get evaluated. Unfortunately, they 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 can't do that. There's, there's some health issues there and some other ongoing things. So then other people came out and said, I'll, I'll do it, you know? So I, we're in the process of getting them evaluated. I'm lucky. I mean, no matter what happens, I'm lucky. And, you know, I think like, I think sometimes, you know, God puts a, a Goliath in front of you to find a David yes. within you. I love that oh, I love phrase, that. you know? And, and it, it's, it's what happened with me, you know, I, I found that David, yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. So. Well, why don't we briefly touch upon, because I know this is a big message that we want to get across is the importance of being an organ donor. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that, about why people should consider if they're not already? Well, for one, just to wait for a kidney transplant, just kidney now we're talking, which is what I'm on. I am on the list of Loyola in Chicago. It's a five-year wait for, you know, deceased donor. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's crazy. That means there are so many people that need organs. Um, a lung transplant is a little different, double lung. It's not as common. But, you know, one organ donor can save eight lives. So, and you, what are you going to do? You're going to take your organs with you? What's the purpose? I mean, if you haven't made a difference in your life until the, the last day, think about making a difference that way. You know, I mean, even if you were the most evil person in the world redeem yourself become an That's organ a great donor. point yeah. yeah you know i mean like you can still make a difference and it and it'll change a lot of people's lives I've, I've heard so many incredible organ donor stories you know and it's it's awesome and i love mentoring people that are going through the process because i love to see what happens afterwards when they get their transplant and how it changes them because it happens every single time everyone becomes a different kind of person a better person and they're making a difference themselves and, and they see the help they receive and they want to give it to others. So it's like, you know, it, it's, it's like a domino effect, you know, like everyone's helping each other. It's, it's incredible. It's a give, give forward kind of thing, you know? Absolutely. And, and like you said, no matter anything you've done in your life, good, bad, or indifferent, like you can make this really big difference in up to eight people's lives potentially yeah. by one person being an organ donor. So it's something to consider. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. Well, since you're such an inspiring person, Nick, I thought it would be most appropriate for you to have the last word. So what message would you like to leave with the listeners today? Well, I would just say, it, no matter what you're going through in life, I guess just keep a very, try to stay positive. I know it's not, not as easy as it is said, but uh, a positive attitude is definitely huge. I mean, I have this phrase here, your attitude determines your direction. I don't know if you could see that. I look at that every day when I have my breakfast. Um, you know, try to remember what you have in your life that's good, not bad. Um, when, you're, when things are going well for you, try to give back to others. I believe in karma. I believe that what you give, you will receive in life. But don't give to receive, you know, just give to give. And um, never give up, you know. I mean, you know, keep fighting. There's always a, a light at the end of the tunnel. And, uh, and that light is bright, you know, especially in the transplant experience. When you go through, you're going through a hard time, you're, 
you're barely surviving. But once you get through that transplant experience and if it works for you, my Lord, it's an incredible thing. It's an incredible feeling to go from not being able to breathe at all, spitting blood every week, hardly being able to walk 10 feet without having a huge cough attack to be able to walk miles and miles and miles without even having a struggle in your breath, you know, what an incredible feeling, you know, and, and it's, it has to give you joy and want to give, give, give want to give you to give back to the world, you know, and um, that's it. I mean, I guess stay positive, become an organ donor, organdonor.gov where everyone can go and become an organ donor. Or when you go to your DMV and you get that new license, just let them know you want to be an organ donor. Absolutely. You can make all the difference. That was beautiful. Well, Nick, I can't thank you enough for joining me today on Wonderfilled Week and sharing your journey with us. You are the epitome of inspiration and determination, and I'm excited to follow along as your foundation continues to grow and spread awareness. And I encourage thank my you. listeners to follow along as well and support Nick and his amazing cause. Again, Instagram, your personal at Nick DeBreezy Jr., at Breathe Like a Boss Foundation, Facebook, the Breathe Like a Boss Foundation. Visit his website, breathelikeaboss.com, and donate, donate, donate. That is my number one Thank thing. You. I know Nick's not going to ask. I got to do it for him. <laughs> I appreciate donate, that. Yes, on his website via PayPal, Breathe Like a Boss Foundation. And until the day that we can get the streaming to watch your documentary, everyone can check you out on Fargo. You said season four? Yep, season okay. four. I play a mobster, so. <laughs> I love it. Well, check out Nick's IMDb, I'll say. Then you can see all the things yes. that he's been in in the meantime. But Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. I really can't thank you enough. I knew waking up this morning that I was going to be blessed with inspiration from you, and, and you never fail to deliver. Oh, I'm, I am blessed. Thank you, Caitlin. I appreciate it. Okay. It was great. Great talking to you. And tell Ryan I said I love him. Absolutely, I will. 